Hello, everyone. Welcome to Cerebral Flex, episode 19, The War on Drugs and the Border Crisis. Um, we're going to be going over uh, several things. Number one, uh, how destabilizing Latin America, which was our last episode, how that led to inequality. Um, number two, how the war on drugs accelerated the power of the cartels. Number three, the fault of the U.S. in terms of rampant inequality, military dictatorships, and drug violence leading to the crisis at the border. And number four, how we should handle or deal with the current climate. So um, I believe uh, Jareth is uh, far more knowledgeable about uh, certain events um, <laughs> concerning the war on drugs. Why don't, we, why don't we touch on... Um, the, the destabilization in Latin America, and then we'll we'll hop into the the war on drugs. So the last episode we did was on all these military um, coups that overthrew these white right wing governments and stuff like that, um, and it obviously contributed greatly to the inequality of uh, the the Latin American people's thoughts on that. Uh, just to simplify what you said, it, it, it's all about how we installed proxy governments so that we could make money with our corporations inside their their countries. And we used their populations for cheap labor and killed anyone that went against us. Yeah. So we created an environment of absolute fear. Um, I forgot one of the torture tactics or fear tactics they use involved burning. What was the what's that? tactic something fire whatever either way they uh basically mowed down anyone that spoke against them and uh all throughout central and south america um we have our hands in what they are doing so that that's really what the last episode was about in a nutshell um, yeah put in simple um, terms how do you so when it comes to the United States creating these military dictatorships and Operation Condor being like the death squads and stuff like that, um, do you think that in some cases kind of led to the um, acceleration of the power of the cartels? Yes. Yeah. Um, and like we were discussing earlier, it's much like prohibition where we outlawed alcohol in the U.S. and Italian mafia uh, got a lot of power and money by selling alcohol illegally. Right. And um, I thought what you said was interesting is that when you outlaw something, the demand for that goes up. Right. So it's like yeah. you tell a kid they can't have something. They just want it more. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so. <laughs> That's how the cartels are um, empowered is because we're like, nope, we got the DEA. We got, you know, all these laws against these illicit drugs. We're cracking down and they're like, no, you know, <laughs> and the Americans are like, I want it more now. And yeah. so the Mexican cartels formed and, um, you know, from Sinaloa, I think originally. And then yep. now they're all over to Tamaulipas in the east and they're doing some crazy shit all over Mexico, beheading people. And the real way of the only real way of making money in Mexico is uh, joining them. So, I mean, you really have no chance of being super successful if they don't have some of your wealth. I mean, they say you can be a businessman there, or a lawyer or a doctor, but I'm pretty sure you're still giving or cooperating 
with the cartel. You're, there's some cooperation going on for you to even be there, I feel like. Or maybe they're just like, I don't want to get involved in anything uh, stupid, so I'm not going to mess with these people. But I, I don't I don't see that as being the case. I feel like they would kidnap your wife or kidnap your kids and they would want, you know, have ransom money and make sure that you are scared to death of them and will never turn anyone in that's working for them and right. so forth. Right. Um, so if we take it, well, we could we could take it like even like a, a smaller um, microcosm and make it more like applicable to at home. Um, just because like if you look at the south side of Chicago, for instance, right? There's a lot of gangs in the south side of Chicago. Some of the only ways to make money um, because there's no real economic opportunities when you're growing up in, and I don't actually think of South Chicago this way, but like as, as white rich uh, conservatives or neoliberals would say the slums, um, the only real way to make money in the slums, um, if you don't have the, the opportunity to get scholarships, to go to a good school and educate yourself and amount massive amounts of debt um, is to join a gang and to um, start, you know, selling drugs or selling selling weapons and such. And so in Latin America, that's a, a much broader microcosm of like a smaller sector of the United States. Um, so I guess I'll take the screen for a second and kind of talk about what we did that accelerated the war on drugs. Um, so a lot of these things started after Lyndon B. Johnson um, was president um, during the era of Lyndon B. Johnson. He was what I like to call a faux populist. Um, he did a lot of civil rights things that were lip service to uh, communities of color. Uh, he did a lot of things. I mean, he did good things. He did things like helping desegregate schools and the like. But um, he, I don't think that a lot of the things that he did, he did out of altruism. I think he was a lot like FTR, where the reason he did things was out of a need for necessity. Um, and during that time, as liberals are wont to do, um, when communities of color um have you know discrimination or you know we we see it today black people being gunned down in the streets that's been happening for for hundreds of years um the the clan is still prominent it was even more prominent in the 60s around the time of lbj um and so you saw all these these different like race rights and stuff happening around that time and liberals are they have a very hands-off approach when it comes to it. Uh, like with George Floyd and recent memory, that's probably a good one to mention for people. You saw the liberals come out. They said, let's defund the police. Um, we, we honor George Floyd. Um, Nancy Pelosi had a slip of the tongue where she's just stupid. I don't know, but she even when Derek Chauvin was convicted of his crime of killing George Floyd, she, she actually thanked George Floyd for dying so that they could convict him. Um, so it shows you the mentality of liberals and the way that they deal with race. Um, they deal with race as a brand, um, but they don't actually want to fix any of the institutions that discriminate against people of color. Um, they don't want to, they don't want to fix schools. They don't want to give black people economic opportunity. 
Um, they just like to pay lip service to it. And so what you started to see around the time of LBJ was a lot of lip service being played to black communities and communities of colors, but not a lot done. And this kind of hands-off approach when there were riots in the streets. Um, now, I don't advocate going in and cracking down on protesters and, and beating them like Trump did, um, which I feel like a lot of people during the time of the Black Lives Matter protest were, were in favor of. Um, I believe people should have the right to protest. And if you want to, you know, destroy, you know, your targets in your local Walmarts, go ahead. Um, I don't see it as an invalid protest to destroy things. Um, you have an opinion on that? <laughs> yeah, I don't like burning, but like, um, yeah, like how the cartels got stronger because of our war on drugs is, um, it's interesting that you're correlating the mentality of liberals into that. I, I like that. But um, yes. yeah, I, I, I don't agree with burning down businesses of any sort. I think it takes away from your message. I, I like Jay, I, I like um, MLK's approach to handling civil rights. And I liked uh, Malcolm X's philosophies post going to Mecca. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, the cartel game. My point yeah. was more that I don't think that burning buildings down and stuff like that delegitimizes the protest at all. I feel like a lot of people think like once it gets to that level, it delegitimizes it. I don't. Well, think it, it does. allows it allows the Karens and the Chads to point the <laughs> finger and say, "Look, they're fucking animals. Like, why should we listen to anything they say?" Right. You it's know, true. and I'm gonna go get a gun and protect my house, and I'm gonna stand outside my house and point guns at Black Lives Matters protesters just walking by my house because justified by the actions of idiots that burn down businesses because if some of you are burning down businesses you're quite likely to burn down my house so i'm right. going to stand on my front yard and point an assault rifle at your face you know it's like and they justify it that way so i don't like when we get out of control in our protests and fuck up businesses because it gives the right or anyone that's against actual civil liberties a chance to um violently show a backlash just like that fucking kid that went up in wisconsin yeah well and that that is a microcosm of of what happened that led to nixon so you had lbj and the, the democrats you know they're paying lip service to it and there's there's black rights and stuff like that but they're not doing anything institutionally to help them and so then you have nixon coming along and saying we need law and order drugs are rampant in the streets you got these black people out there throwing riots and, and causing destruction in the streets. Um, and this is a microcosm of the effect that drugs are having on them. Uh, prohibition had ended. So like the DEA was massively underfunded and they needed something else to do. And you had an influx of uh, Latin American immigrants coming in and bringing marijuana with them. That was also very popular, uh, started to become popular among the black community. Um, and they started outlawing a bunch of things. Same thing with cocaine. A lot. Of, I think a lot of people know it. But if you don't know, uh, cocaine was like a white person's drug. Like they they did a lot of cocaine. It was prescribed by doctors. They put it in Coca-Cola. Um, and then black people started to enjoy cocaine um, because cocaine is very enjoyable. <laughs> and uh, they, they didn't like that because once again, it was it was people of color infiltrating the white man's world and and. They at the time, and I still argue today, like white people 
very much what their culture is separated. In fact, what you see now nowadays on a little side tangent is white people are actually stealing from black culture and making it their own. That's why you see all these white emo rappers and stuff like oh, that. They've been doing that since Elvis. They've been but, doing it since Elvis, but, but yeah. <laughs> they want but your like, culture, but they don't want you because the melanin of your skin is, is it, they don't like it. So what you're saying in a nutshell is that they're, keep making more and more laws against certain things, creating more and more criminal elements that then they can turn around and point the finger of blame at. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. So that was essentially what Nixon did. He came in as he was the very, well, I, I shouldn't say the very first, but he was the amalgamation of what the law and order president is. That was his thing. Trump stole that from Nixon. He was about law and order. We're going to go in and we're going to clean up the streets. Well, there was Reagan um, in between, too. Uh, we, Reagan, I hate Reagan. Ah. I know, but <laughs> the war on drugs and, like, just say no and Nancy well, it Reagan, was, and all that shit. It, it, was, it was, the war on drugs has been amplified. It started with Nixon. It was amplified by Reagan. And then the the police state that we currently have was actually, um, uh, was actually implemented by Clinton. Um, so what we see after LBJ with the law and order is we had this far right sweep in this country to like, uh, we need law and order. And then all of our Democrats kind of became, uh, what we have now is neoliberals. Um, I'm reading a book series right now, which I'll, I'll eventually finish it. Um, there's three books. It's Nixon land. So it talks about the end of LBJ's presidency and the rise of Nixon uh, then they talk about post Nixon after the Watergate scandals and how Jimmy Carter, I think a lot of people think of Jimmy Carter very fondly, um, but how he actually contributed a lot to the current political climate of the neoliberal do nothing Democrats and then the rise of Reagan. So it's like a three part book. So it's going to take me forever to get through. It's like 1500 pages with all three books combined, but the interesting thing is that in learning about Nixon and this war on drugs is kind of curtailed nicely into what we were talking about. So as I said, just because you outlaw something doesn't mean that the demand for it decreases. Sometimes it increases it. Um, so we de we, um, we criminalized marijuana and cocaine, which were two prominent drugs that, um, I mean, marijuana grows very easily in South America. They have the right climate. Um, there's jungles that they can hide their uh, fields and stuff in. And at the time, it wasn't necessarily illegal in Latin America to produce these products until it became illegal in the United States. Then you saw us, obviously, we talked about it. We're overthrowing governments and stuff like that. We see a lot of fascist governments trying to crack down on things like the growth of marijuana and uh uh, cocaine factories and stuff like that. And as you were saying earlier, one of the only ways in Latin America, especially at that time, because you had these strong social safety nets taken away from people by these, these military juntas that were instated. Um, the only way to make money was to kind of join a cartel or be a drug runner for the cartel or be a grower in a field for a cartel or work in the factories. I just, um, I just realized an interesting correlation. Go ahead. These um, right-wing-minded, um, pretty much fascist people uh, love 
anti-drug stuff because how can you exploit workers if they're always high? Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. it makes perfect sense now. Like they want all the people to be sober, but they also want all the people to be paid a very low wage and making them more money. Well, and also too, if we just think about maybe not um, factory produced things like cocaine, but if we talk about things that are more natural and herbal, such as marijuana and psychedelics, what do those tend to do? Those tend to make you um, more spiritually minded in like a free love type of sense. You start to see the world in different colors. You're 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 less likely to fight your neighbor and be contentious with the guy who lives next door to you. Um, I, I do think that there is a war because you had the CIA testing things like LSD and stuff like that. I do think that the war on psychedelics in particular is purposeful because it makes people more open-minded loving um and awake to like our purpose here our purpose here isn't to mass produce things um so i think the war on psychedelics is pretty pretty intentional um the war on drugs in general though i think it is kind of instituted it was instituted originally as a way to keep the DEA relevant and also to crack down on communities of color because we still see it today. Uh, Hispanic people and black people are three times more likely to spend very long jail sentences for minor drug infractions. Um, It was a war on those communities. Yeah. So it was a twofold war. It was a war to keep the DEA, DEA in power and to continue these regime change wars and this control over the region of Latin America. And it was also to destabilize communities of color here at home. So bringing it all around, um, all these military dictatorships and inequality we create and um, horrible, scary environments we make Latin America live in. And what does that make someone do? If you're super scared, you're going to, you're going to try to leave. And now we're seeing a lot of them coming up to the border because of that. And you have all these assholes like, why are they up here? (laughs) Yes. I mean, I I honestly wonder what we can do. Um, I do think that, um, you know, if you're going from one country to another, the very next country you're going through should process your information for asylum. So I think like Mexico or whatever next country is, if you're in Guatemala, it's going to be Mexico. If you're, you know, Nicaragua, it's going to be like, you know, one of the two countries north of you, Honduras, or, um, I don't know. It just seems odd that the U S <laughs> is being made to process all these asylum seekers. I do know that we're responsible for why they're seeking asylum. So it's not unjustified that they're trying to come here for a safe haven. Um, but I do find it odd that, um, Mexico isn't pressured more into processing a lot of these applicants for asylum. Well, I think a lot of, I mean, they should be, they should be doing that. But also at the same time, a lot of these people don't want to stay in Mexico because of the overarching influence of the cartels. Um, Correct. The cartels are, they're much different than the way that the mafia operated in that the mafia were terrible. There's no doubt, but um, the cartel, brings it to a completely new level on like the kidnapping of children, beheading police officers in the street. Like there's not a lot of coercion and working in the government. It's 
either yeah. the cartel or you're with the Mexican government. How much the cartels bought into the Mexican government, it, it gets very muddy there. It's very hard to tell. On a side note, when I was down in Mexico for a business trip, uh, the week after we left, um, El Chapo's uh, son, I believe they had uh, tried to detain his son. Yeah. And the fucking cartel hit back and like was murdering cops in the streets and like there's a bunch of crap and like got the son back. So it is a scary place. I understand why they wouldn't want to seek asylum there. Um, but <clears throat> from a legal standpoint, I feel like if you're going from one country to another, the next border that you cross is the one that needs to process everything. I suppose. I don't know. I'm not, again, I'm not. A yeah, big I know big you don't like borders. I don't, I don't either. Like but in the current climate, I'm more an isolationist than anything. I do feel I, like e economically uh, we should be producing our own products. We should be uh, sustaining ourselves and globally on the global stage, socially, we should be out there and outreaching and trying to make friends everywhere, not just with our allies. Right. And I think we need to, to be open to everyone's um, ideologies and how they want to make money. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I do believe in self-preservation and not relying on China for 90% of our goods and not relying on the Middle East for most of our petroleum. And I think we need to get away from petroleum and, you know, all that shit. But I do believe in, in isolationism economically and self-sustainability. And you can call me fascist or, or liber libertarian for that, but I think it's a healthier way to support your mom and pop shops in your local communities than... Um, the problem with isolationism at this point is you kind of see that with most great, um, great empires. Um, you, they have this, this wide reaching hand. And then at a certain point it's becomes economically hard and not as feasible because you have other people mass producing certain products for you and stuff. And there's more rampant inequality at home. So then you become more isolationist, but because your hand was so far reaching, the empire starts to crumble. So I think at the point that we're currently at, it would be very hard for us to become isolationist. And I think, well, I agree with isolationist tendencies. Um, like, I don't think we should be in Afghanistan or Iraq or in all the Middle Eastern wars and stuff like that. But the isolationist mentality that, that people like Bernie Sanders would espouse, like let's bring everyone home and invest money here. Well, I do agree with that. And I do think you could massively undercut military budgets, law enforcement budgets and stuff like that. I think it would kind of be a death nail in the the coffin of the United States. Um they, they've unfortunately we've put ourselves in a position where it's either come home and isolate yourself and suffer some major repercussions for that globally or well, it's like the Spanish empire that we covered. Yeah, if you, exactly. if you fail out there, you're going to fail internally as well. Right. So now that our hands are everywhere, since right. we have troops everywhere, and we've pretty much changed the fabric of the culture in all the countries we're in, uh, it would be a death nail because of all the vacuums that would ensue once we pulled out. And I think Afghanistan's a great example. The and, interesting thing. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Finish. No, the, the world stage would turn against us quite rapidly. Yes. And yeah. The interesting thing, I think, in um, the way that we currently fight, or not even fight, but the way that we imperialize other countries is interesting because what we do is, like with the Latin American thing, we got what we wanted out of it, but we didn't, unlike 
old imperial building nations, we didn't take control of Latin America. They still remain their own autonomous state. Because again, like our biggest mythos is it's one thing I, I either heard it or I realized it one day, like one of our biggest mythos is Star Wars, right? Uh, and it's all about the, the rebels fighting the Galactic Empire. And we call ourselves a republic when it, in, in reality, America is the world's largest empire. We're an imperialist state. If you just look at how we are abroad and the rules of engagement, the rules of world, that war that we constantly violate, we are the empire. Everyone follows our lead. We go into the Middle East. Pretty much everybody but Russia and China goes into the Middle East and helps us. Um, we're the world empire. And we don't like using that word because empire is a dirty word. Because then you're, you're Emperor Palpatine and you're Darth Vader. Those are the bad guys. Um, but you have to start thinking in terms of we're not a democracy. We're very, very much an oligarchy with imperialist uh, intentions. And so that's, I a, that's an interesting um, metaphor because the Jedi, you know, they recruited children much like the communist rebels that go against the, cor the corporatists yep. and capitalist yep. um proxy governments so it's both sides have dirt on them oh yes you know? definitely and no matter what group or, or nation you're from it has dirt no matter what race you're from there's dirt on you but like my issue with the u.s is that we paint a picture of liberty and freedom and and democracy whatever the fuck that is <laughs> and we like to paint this stupid picture and the thing is u.s citizens actually believe this nonsense and then when when buildings fall and like 9-11 and shit, we're all like death to the fucking Muslims and like people get super xenophobic and racist. And it's absolute idiocy. The reason that people are mad at us is because we're assholes abroad. And like, I don't know why that isn't like more of the discussion. <laughs> so you know? my my thoughts the way we fight war is very different. The way that we imperialize is very different now. So like when it comes to Afghanistan, you almost have to have this Trumpian view. All right. And this is probably not going to be, it's probably not going to age well or, or feel very nice to say, but it's something that should probably be said. Um, there's two options when it comes to Afghanistan. All right. There's the option you pull out and it's going to be messy. We could stay there another 10 years. We pull out the Taliban's going to take over. It's going to happen. Um, we're the direct cause of the Taliban having the power that it has, just like the cartel having power in Latin America. So you either need to be okay with pulling out and allowing it to sort itself out and only intervene if you are attacked, or what you need to do is you need to stake claim on the territory that you are in and you have taken over. Um, I think why Trump resonated with people when he said, we went to Afghanistan and Iraq and we didn't take the oil, why that resonates to us is because the reason we went over there, whether we want to admit it to ourselves or not, is that the reason we're in Afghanistan is not just because the Taliban and bin Laden. We're there because of the poppy fields, yeah. which produce a lot of the uh, the painkillers that we have. Um, I think Afghanistan is what produces 80% of the world's poppy. In uh, Iraq, we A lot of are, hashish, too. Yes, in Iraq, we are also extracting and have very, very good uh, contracts for oil. There's a reason we're there. So either you continue 
you, you can't continue the forever war. That's not something that that fiscally is sustainable. Trillions and trillions of dollars worth of debt are not going to help you. So you need you have two options. You pull out and you deal with the consequences of that. And you only attack if you're retaliated against. Because I am one. I, I do believe that if a country is attacked, you, you shouldn't just take it lying down. You should probably retaliate. That is the only time the, the, the rules of war and engagement should be should be used. Um, I don't think you need to get excessive like we did in World War II and drop nukes on Hiroshima and shit. Yeah, but, we always do that. We always go nuts. We, 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 again, in the Latin American episode, there were the British who were like coy about their politics and like they got what they wanted. And it's the US who's like, no, military dictatorship after dictatorship. So we're very heavy handed in what we do. So there's only two options you pull out or you stay and you officially make that at least, if not a, a US state, a US territory. Um, I'm very much against intervening and making anybody a U.S. territory at all. I, I, I don't think we should be doing what we've done. But this is kind of the position we've put ourselves in. Do we become isolationist and we kind of deal with the world on a case-by-case -case basis? Or in a lot of these countries where we're exerting influence, like Latin America, like Iraq and stuff like that, do you essentially claim them as as, as city-states, as territories? I mean, I would go about it the way China's going about it. I would go there, offer them a ton of money to get them good food, good health care, good education. And debt them get, to you. Yep. Get them back on their feet. And if they can't pay back the debt, then guess what? I own the fucking country. Like, that's how China's running it. Yep. And that's a lot smarter than going in guns blazing and, you know, killing and making people fearful of you. And that is the thing that's interesting about China, which is funny because that was our first episode we ever did. Yeah. Um bringing it all around together. Um, the interesting thing about China is now they have the foresight of, we don't look at, we don't tend to look back at the past, but China has this thing of looking back at the past and seeing what has and hasn't worked. And they also have a plan of looking forward because I don't feel the U S we, we don't have the China 10 year, 20, 30, 40, 50 year plan. We just have this election cycle. And then uh, by fall of next year biden's going to be done doing any type of policy change and working on either keeling over and dying or start running his 2024 campaign right which we could get into discussions about how long term should be and all but that that's shit. why other countries don't trust us we don't have longevity and every exactly. other administration changes and reverses policies that the right. last administration put through right nobody's going to trust someone like that it's like a person that like sometimes is on time and then sometimes isn't you can't count on them at all like fuck them so <laughs> when it comes to the war on drugs um i think the best way to get a away from the violence and the power that the cartel has right um there's obviously demand for marijuana there's obviously a demand for cocaine you also see the the cartels they're now uh producing methamphetamines right mm -hmm. there there's there is a market and because there is a market that market is going to be filled whether by legal or illegal means that is completely up to the country um so one of the big mistakes we've made in fighting the cartels was well one we uh militarized and gave a bunch of weapons to a bunch of rebels who then uh when their dictatorships were overthrown or done with they went and they sold a lot of these weapons to the cartels to make money a lot of a lot of the weapons that the cartels use are are 
from the United States. Um, so that's a problem in and of itself. The second thing is you had El Chapo, right? Um, you saw this a lot with mobs too. This is why the mob isn't as powerful anymore. Um, instead of trying to take on the cartel as a whole, we try to take out the figureheads. But what that creates is power vacuum. So you take out El Chapo. Now Mexico is a fucking war zone worse than it was because you have all these different factions of the cartel trying to take control of it. Which um, we probably knew would happen. Which we probably knew would happen. Um, which puts Mexico in a vulnerable state, which makes them more either antagonistic towards us or more subservient. Either way, we get something out of it. Yeah. Um, so you you don't take out the figurehead. You need to take out the cartel as a whole. They have this like, because it's it's like a hydra. You, you cut off one head, two more heads are going to pop up. And that's what you see even like in downtown South Chicago. They got rid of the mob, and now it's street by street. A different gang owns every street, and there's just rampant violence all over the place. Um, so that is definitely a bad thing. But what you really need to do is to cut off the head is you need to make the source available to everybody just like with alcohol because that was the true death now of the uh of the mob it wasn't the the jailing of the heads of the families or anything like that or the breaking up of the mob it was really the prohibition era ending and the alcohol running that they were doing and a lot of yeah. the gun running they were doing i mean um, yeah. with cannabis being legalized in illinois the highways are still just as safe to drive they are <laughs> it is amazing um but yeah like now that we've destabilized all these countries and made everyone in fear, and now they're coming up to our border trying to get, you know, I, I, that's another thing. Like, if they knew their history, they wouldn't be running towards their enemy to, to nope. be safe. But I nope. guess that's nope. another weird topic. But yeah, but, how but there should... is there is this uh, kind of like mythos that the world still believes. You'll still hear it from immigrants like, I come to this country because it's a meritocracy. I don't think they realize that it is a meritocracy and that that's to our benefit too, because we, we very much still like cheer. We're number one in this and we're number one in that. And I think a lot of undereducated immigrants who don't have, because we've destroyed their education systems and, you know, means of them accessing information about us. I think that's probably why they flee here. Cause they think that it's going to be some great wondrous land of opportunity when it's not. Um, but how how do we how do we potentially fix this problem? Yeah, um, I'm a cynic, you know. So you don't. It's think hard the for me to have an actual. <laughs> like it's, it's hard for me to have a constructive answer for this. Okay. From how do you feel about? <clears throat> we'll 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 deconstruct it a little bit. How do you feel about? just specifically in thinking about the war on drugs and trying to get rid of the power that the cartel has, which might, it might have effects of decreasing, increasing violence in the long, in the short term, but decreasing it in the long term. And this might actually lead to less of a border crisis too, because people won't be fleeing the cartel because they're fucking killing everybody. Um, how do you feel about at least the decriminalization, if not the legalization of any type of illegal substance. I think that's a great first step. I mean, if we reversed all our evil policies that have a veneer of democracy and actually put money into real democracy, if we actually went there and dem democratized Latin America and allowed these people to get back on their feet 
and have the profits from their own businesses. And we were their friends. That would solidify the Americas against our current threat, which is China. If we actually went down and I mean, you got to think about it. This has been like almost 100 years of some bully beating up a kid, right? Yep. So you're like a bully is beating the shit out of a kid for 100 years. Say these people live forever. Right. <laughs> um, or like a thousand years. Say it's like a tenth of their existence. Um, you're beating them down and then you turn around and say, OK, I want to be nice now. I've repented for my sins. I've, I've I don't know, joined the fucking faith. I don't know. You change your ways. You stop beating the kid. You start giving the kid some lunch money for all the times you stole his lunch money. Um, you talk to the kid's parents. You say, I'm sorry for what I did. You, you, you bring it all together. <laughs> you know, like right. that's what needs to be done on a global scale to all the people we fucked over. Okay. And since we're already putting billions of dollars into these countries anyway to make sure our corporations get all the profits, we could keep all that money, keep flowing, but instead allow them to take their profits from their own businesses. We'd be taking a big loss in money, which I know a lot of people won't agree with, but human life cannot be equated to profit. Right. And it's only going to get you in the back later. It's like what Tupac said, all the people I, you know, harmed in my past will probably one day come and kill me. You right. know, which was the case. It's like, you can't just keep being a bully and expect right. there not to be a backlash, a fatal backlash. Right. And I think China is, is going to provide that once they have all these countries in their pockets, right. once they get all of Latin America and once they get uh, Africa, which they're already doing a great deal of mm -hmm. and uh, Southeast Asia and so on. They're going to convince all these countries, like, look at what America's done to you for all these years. Yeah. You know, that's, that is the real, that'll be the real death knell in the coffin. Um, once China gets involved in Latin America, hardcore, um, that'll be over for the U S because that's like the last bastion that we have. Um, so yeah, I, I would say my, my first solution to just getting rid of the cartels and the violence and trying to solve the border crisis at a certain point, you're going to have to open up the border to just the mass amount of immigrants. Um, you cannot keep people in cages. Like you would that, just open up the border to all the immigrants. I mean, obviously there's going to be due process and stuff like that, but I would take a lot more of them in instead of keeping them in cages at the border like we're still doing. I thought we were going to stop having kids in cages, but instead it's increasing under Biden again. Well, like bring them in and give them Oklahoma like we did the Native Americans? Yeah. <laughs> give them a state. Wyoming. Here, here you can't have Wyoming. It's a shit state. You do what you no, want. No, it's it. a beautiful state. It's Georgia a beautiful state, but it's also a shit state. No, they actually, can have New Mexico or Arizona. Where's Dick Cheney from? Is Dick Cheney from Nebraska? I don't know. I Whatever state Dick Cheney's from, we're going to send them all there. <laughs> Fuck that dude. Um, but so I I would first, you know, I, I would take a lot of these displaced people in and I would immediately, I would definitely decriminalize every drug. I would legalize marijuana uh psychedelics like uh natural psychedelics like mushrooms and stuff like that dm dmt is kind of lab produced i would i would most psychedelics with the exception of like your 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 hardcore ones like pcp and stuff like that i wouldn't i wouldn't legalize but like the soft ones lsd acid dmt i would legalize most of those um things that are more synthetic like heroin uh methamphetamine 
even cocaine, even though it's a bit of a lesser one, I, I would decriminalize those. I wouldn't legalize those. I would leave those up to states. That way, you know, if, you, if you're in Colorado and they've legalized everything, but you don't want to be around people who might potentially be addicted to like meth and heroin, you could move, you could move next door to, I don't know, Arkansas, where none of, where none of those are legal. You know what I next mean? Next door to Arkansas, you mean like Wyoming or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> I feel like Arkansas actually might have more meth heads than Colorado. I'm not Probably. sure. Probably Kentucky, Tennessee, Arkansas. <laughs> but I, I would decriminalize everything. I would legalize a lot of the softer stuff just federally. And then, I mean, once the, the floodgates are open and, you know, you can have people producing these products in, in a way where it's legal for them to do it and then sell it, you're, what are the cartels going to sell? They're not going to sell alcohol because that's legal. They can't sell drugs because those are all legal. They'd have to have actual legitimate businesses. They would have to have legitimate businesses like the mob had to finally eventually adopt. And the mob is still around, but they just don't have the power they did. They're in Las Vegas. Yeah, they they, they, they don't have the power that they did. They they run casinos now. Um, So decriminalizing legalizing a lot of things is just going to it's going to stop the war on drugs it's it's just yeah but like how do we say sorry to all these countries so what you do once you've done that right is the cartels are out of power so there's no need to send the military in and again it might increase violence in the short term as everything's being legalized like there's just going to be infighting because it's going to be bad so you might have to bring the military in for that but there, there's not going to be a massive military intervention like there's talks of today um, because you've cut off that power. Now, what you do to fix these things is you're going to have to start to enact a – this is something a lot of people don't like, but you're going to have to do reparations. All mm-hmm. right, And the form of reparations, um, whether it comes to – like country on a country by country basis, what you want that to be could be different. I think in terms of aid, um, what we should be doing is I don't think that we should go in and we should promote democracy um, because when we promote democracy, we do it the wrong way every fucking time. Um, I think what you do is you give the power of the type of governments that people want back to the people. So if you still have dictators that are, are in power that have been installed by us, you allow that to crumble and fall out. You no longer give aid to that government. Um, you instead, you know, help bolster uh, different parties that are going to give give power back to the people. And then you will reinvest that aid into there. I think we should pay a lot of money to the different countries that we have exploited, not just labor-wise, but resource-wise. So like massive swaths of the Amazon. If you're going to um if you want to do reparations in the form of a monetary payment you could just give federal aid to the governments or you could send uh you could send the military in to start helping restore the rainforest and doing agricultural things um yeah i think we have this um idea with the military that they have to go fight wars but what you could do with a lot of the military because a lot of them are smart and educated you could use them to do different things around the world agriculturally that would actually benefit them greatly and benefit you in the long term as well yeah i don't know i think we're we've been 
assholes for too long to make right. friends. And if we gave a ton of money to these governments, that all that money would go straight to their elitists. I mean, that is the thing because corporate. they're all, I mean, they're all um, corrupt. Not that that is the thing because you 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 saw it in Latin America. There is like a bourgeois class that goes to the U.S. anytime people tend to have Remove power head. in Latin America. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, so it kind of becomes it, it, again the the main problem is always capitalism. That that is the biggest issue. It is capitalism, um, and so how do you curtail rampant capitalism you can't continue to adopt this mentality of infinite growth which the u.s definitely has china seems to have the idea of infinite growth in mind but with a plan whereas the u.s does not like they've built ghost cities where there's there's nobody living there but it's there for when people are ready um, and they're investing in trade routes and stuff and they're investing in african nations and such so you could take your money and it isn't entirely altruistic because you're doing it to serve these people and make them allies for you, but you could do it in a way that is much less harmful to indigenous peoples, to communities and to the environment. Um, I'm not a climate alarmist. I, I, I don't, I care more about people than the climate than you do. You probably care about the climate more than you probably care about people, I would say, for the most part, because you're a bit more of a nihilist than I am. You... <laughs> well, I, I see humanity as the reason the climate is in trouble. Right. So my my thing as a problem solver is to get rid of the problem. Right. Exactly. <laughs> as the INTJ, you are you are the the problem solver. You you see humans as problem exterminate humans. Problem solved. Um, I as the INTP. I'm a little bit more questioning and nuanced in my approach. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. With um, all that nuance, the world will burn. No, because with my nuance, <laughs> I, I I give you ideas, and then you go and you implement them in the most perfect, efficient way possible. I'm the yeah, idea once, maker. Once I can go learn to code and make like decent yeah. apps and like ways of people being able to practically change their purchasing yes. um, options. So, but, yeah. What what do we <laughs> how do we handle the current border crisis is I think you have to kind of bite a bullet and let a lot of people in. Um, I don't think you can just turn them away unless the only other option is Biden tomorrow takes a pin and he says, all right, uh, DAA DEA is pretty much done. I'm legal. I'm decriminalizing all drugs. I'm legalizing these drugs. It's up to the States, whether they want to legalize or, uh, not legalize these drugs, but it's uh, no longer a criminal offense to be uh, addicted to any type of drug. What you tend to see, too, in European countries that have adopted this is the amount of people that uh, induce harmful drugs like heroin or methamphetamine. It actually tends to decrease a little bit. Yeah. There's like that childish kid mentality of, oh, I want I want to do it because it's cool because it's illegal or whatever. Well, um, and there are people who are legitimately going to want it. But, well, it's like it's like you wanting ice cream as a kid all the time, and yeah. then now that you're an adult, you can buy ice cream whenever you want. And how how much ice cream do you buy? It's like kind of the same thing. Yeah, I don't really. There's gonna that. be some people that buy a ton of ice cream, but most of us don't. You I know? Don't, yeah, I don't really. I don't really buy ice cream. Wow. Right, but as a kid, if you were given a ton of money, and oh like, yeah, you can go buy as much ice cream as you want. <laughs> you can buy the whole fucking yeah yeah no very true so. 
again, like, and also the way that we, we think about things as opposed to European countries who've been around a lot longer is we don't think about things in, in a, in a smart way. So if you were to decriminalize everything, you then have to put in place institutions to let all these people that you've put in jail for their criminal offenses out of jail and reinstitute them into society. And then you have to treat drug problems like the physical health problems that they are and not imprison people for it. Um, so at the end of the day, it's, it's going to come down to a lot of reconfiguring the way that we do things. And are we there yet? I don't think so. I don't think we're anywhere close to being there yet. Um, and I think the two party system, keeping people divided and hyper politicized for their team is not helping anything. Um, so there are solutions to the problems. Will those solutions be enacted? Uh, definitely not by this administration, probably not by the next, um, unless there is some massive crisis that leads to a strong social uh, socialist movement in this country. I don't, I don't foresee it happening. Um, just with the way that the, the working class and the powers that be have relationships here at home, like there's plenty of things we could talk about at home that, that aren't, aren't going well at all. Um, and you, you're kind of right when you say you have to fix yourself before you can fix the rest of the world. Um, I think that we could change a lot of the policies we currently have uh, with intervention in countries, especially Latin America, and start rebuilding that along with ourselves to do it in congruence, I think would actually be really healing for both sides because if we started to enact a lot of social things and also you know recognize what we've done to them and start trying to heal them as well it would actually lead to a stronger bond among nations which would be very good but i think that's very very altruistic well, and not gonna i think happen. i think that's what black people in america have been asking for since uh, I, the slaves were freed it's just a actual genuine apology and what you get most of the times are people saying well i wasn't a slave owner Right. I wasn't part of that. Why should I have to apologize? Why should I take any blame or feel any guilt for anything you're going through um, based on my ancestors and what they did? Right. And I counteract by saying precisely because they're your ancestors. Right. I mean, if my family is directly involved in something heinous, like let's bring up Nazi Germany. Say yeah. they're like Nazis or some shit. I'll be like, I am so sorry, Jewish people, that my family fucking did this to you. Yeah. You know, and even I, will, if I didn't do it. And I will fight and I will be an advocate Correct. for you. Exactly. In, in things. Right. And that's, that's the problem in the US. We, we have such, uh, I don't know how to put it. We're so against feeling any type of guilt for something we're not directly involved in. Cause like you said, we only have like a two year plan. We only see like right now. Yeah. It's a bunch of like small minded traditionalists that only see today. And well, like, and again, when people <laughs> talk about like you brought up a perfect point of like black people just saying like, we want recognition that you guys have destroyed black wealth and you've destroyed black families and you've not yeah. allowed us to succeed. So, and, and I, that is a valid criticism because that is true. And people get all butthurt and pissed off because they're like, well, they want reparations. All right. So they want reparations. But in America, we have this weird thing where like certain words will trigger us. Reparations doesn't 
directly mean. All right, every black person in America who can prove that they were enslaved, we're going to give you $10,000. I don't think that that is, is going to help the systemic problem I, at all. I, I agree more that, with James Baldwin. I think what you should do if you want to do something like reparations is is allow people to be able to purchase property to be yes. directing more of right. your resources into black education and black Correct. schools and in yeah. these areas that have been decommoditized and destroyed and not allowed to build wealth you build wealth within the community you don't just right. go hand out money to whoever like in evanston illinois I, I thought it was kind of a cool idea how they took the the taxes from the marijuana sales and they were giving money to people for um, first time home buyers or paying off a large chunk of your mortgage and stuff like that instead of just directly giving somebody cash. Like I think that's a great way and people don't frame it that way because they hear the word reparation and they're fucking brain fries because they're like, yeah. well, what about the Irish people that were – and." Yeah. Blah, 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 blah. And it's ridiculous. So I've been listening to James Baldwin a lot lately. I I used to listen to him like 10 years ago. But like he said something that hit me is like, I don't want a handout. I don't want your money. I yep. simply want the ability to gain the type of wealth and power yes. that you already have. Yes. I want I want to be liberated to the point where I don't have to worry about my child living in a ghetto. Like if we could change all these neighborhoods to be like, you know the what suburbs you, what they want is or what he's advocating for essentially is what we don't have even for white working class people is exactly. a meritocracy yeah yes. yeah yeah the ability to actually make it like we yeah. we paint we paint this country as a place where you can just easily make it yes but i know so many people that are highly educated and are still poor and you know a lot of assholes would say it's because they you know didn't make the right choices and put it into a practical application. And, and some of it's true. Some of that's true. But like, I would say a lot of us are held down by the system itself. You know, I mean, I, I went into so many places without a college degree. I've had over 20 jobs. I've gone into so many restaurants. Like I can speak Spanish for the most part. I, I can do this. I know all this. I, I'm really good with customers. I can do this. Oh, I'm sorry, black boy. You're on dishes. You can use your Spanish to speak to, you know, Enrique back there doing dishes with you, you know? Yeah. And it's like, okay. And then I go, went to, to fucking FedEx and I said, hey, I, I can do all this. My friend works here. He's one of the people that processes the packages on one of those little arm freaking yeah. scanner computer things. I could do that. I, I can memorize all the zip codes. I can, you yeah. know, do all this stuff for you. No, black boy, you're going to be uh, taking boxes off in a 108 degree trailer. Yep. It's like, what the fuck? So if I don't have a degree, <laughs> but I could know, I could know so much. I could know everything. Right. And still I'm worthless because I don't have the paper that said I'm, you know, I spent a hundred thousand dollars to be in debt and like, and even you know, if you have the paper, it's worthless. Ah, uh, it's crazy. It's crazy. And and people say you have this great opportunity to be successful in this country. It's not yep. fucking true. It's right. a big fucking lie. Which is why I, I think I, a lot of the people at the border, like they're not like, like worldwide, in, in poor countries, it's still seen that way. Like you, there's so much opportunity, America, you work, you pull yourself up by your bootstraps and you can do this. And it's like, no, if you think about the phrase, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, it's physically impossible to do. You can't Which is do it. Originally, that's originally where that colloquialism came from. It was meant yes. to be 
a statement saying that it is entirely impossible for you to get to where we are at. Yes. It was actually a slap in the face comment. And then yep. they turned it in. They flipped yep. it on you That's... and made it like, ah, you can do it. I did it. I, I was poor. Now I'm rich. Look at me. You yep. know, it's like, fucking what the hell, man? <laughs> like, what are the chances? First of all, you had connections or you had, you know, some financial backing. There are very, it's very rare to find a case where someone came out with nothing, started with nothing and became a billionaire or millionaire in this country or any country. Yeah. You either start with a silver spoon or at least middle class and then you stay middle class or you might make it to upper class. I highly doubt it. But like, I don't see many people like elevating from lower class to upper class. No, that's insane. That's that, and that's the mythos like sprung by all these billionaires and millionaires. Like, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of Gary Vaynerchuk. I think that's his last name. Um, he's like this hype guy. He got famous because uh, he's all about the hustle, man. You got to work 18 hours a day and you got to hustle and you got to go to garage sales and then sell stuff and turn it for a higher profit and blah, 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 which there's merit in that. I'm not saying there's not merit in that, but is that fulfilling to everybody? No, but like he likes to spread this mythos of like, oh, my parents were immigrants and my dad, he came and he worked at a liquor store and then he eventually bought that liquor store from that guy. And then what I did is I saw online was going to be big. So I started reviewing wine online and selling wine online. And I became one of the biggest wine sales. And I'm like, but dude, my guy, you're not understanding. You inherited your wealth from your dad. Like if he didn't have that, that liquor store, if he didn't have that wine store, you wouldn't be the millionaire that you are. You wouldn't have had the ability more than likely to, to start selling wine online because you had your dad's shop. Like, this we have this culture in this country and abroad of like shaming people for being poor and not being hustlers but like elon musk how how much work does he do in his 18 hour day that that he has he sends a bunch of emails and tells the smart people what to do he says i want you to build a robot and they're going to build it. He goes, oh, Tesla, that looks like it's going to be a good investment. He didn't create Tesla or the electric car. He bought it um, with the money he made from PayPal, which his parents invested in. Same with Bezos. His parents were very wealthy, middle-class people who mortgaged their house to help him start Amazon. Did they have foresight and innovation to know this was going to be a thing? Yes, but do they deserve to own the majority of the world's wealth because they created that or they exploited people to create that? No. And most of these people who are that rich, like you don't unfortunately get rich in this country unless you're a bad person because you exploit people. It, it happens all the time. Elon Musk, he sold PayPal and stuff like that. And he didn't do some, some very great things to his friends that he was friends with. Mark Zuckerberg, he he screwed a lot of people who helped him create Facebook out of things. Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, it happens constantly. You don't become rich without being a bad person. So trying to bring this all to a head, I would leave our viewers with the question of how they would handle or deal with the current climate right. at the border. Because um, it's a microcosm of, of what is happening here, honestly. It, no, it, it is. honestly is. Everything's connected. And yeah. when people see that every single person's actions affects the next, then we'll actually be able to do something better. Right. We might be able to turn around the climate change thing. I don't see it happening, but 
say we were like a super sophisticated hive mind and we were able to see exactly how many resources everybody needed to sustain yeah. themselves and we knew exactly how um to make these people productive in our societies like we we could psychologically test all the children and see their functions and see which uh areas of expertise we could place them in and specifically train them for these specialties and yeah i mean well let's 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 see how well you guys paid attention to the last one with shelley and the aliende government go watch that documentary i'm going to say aliende 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 <laughs> he's got that l man no, yeah up. no it's two l's so it's yeah <laughs> yeah Allende. Um, but he used cyber cybernetics to turn the mental health and in the country around and know exactly how many materials you needed and if yep. you didn't need those materials you could send it to another warehouse we have the technology it's existed since the 70s to do this we have the technology to know exactly how much resources we need for every living human being, what the correct and appropriate amount would be for consumption. Yep. And we we could very, very easily fix this problem. Technology is greater than it's ever been. Cybernetics is greater than it's ever been. We're talking yep. about doing brain chips in, in artificial intelligence. Artificial intelligence is probably is what's going to end us because it's going to see what inefficient idiots humans are and how they overconsume. It's going to wipe us out. So or it'll take us over and and like in uh, Rick and Morty when the um, bug race <laughs> took over Earth, yes. it'll just like give us pills like antidepressants and yep. anxiety meds and like give yeah. us a function. We're like, so, here's your function. So as as with all of our podcasts, it, it, I guess it comes down to to solve the drug war and border crisis. There are policies that you can implement, but the broader thing is the the social recognition of what we've done to these countries, how we've contributed to it. And how we need to recognize that so that we can begin to fix these problems and move yes. forward. Because at the end of the day, can we fix Latin America if it doesn't want to fix itself like Afghanistan? Can we fix Afghanistan if they're they're not going to fight back against the Taliban? No, we can't do that. But if we can at least recognize the problems that we have committed against yep. these people – then maybe we can start talking about solutions on how to to help them in a social and economic way that not only just benefits them but can also benefit us yeah because we need to shoulder we need to shoulder the blame and take responsibility yes. where because, we were involved because the more the more you build a global community the the better off we're all going to be yep that's yep. why that's why borders are stupid abolish they the are. state Viva la but, revolution. Yeah, but we're still fucking cavemen, and that's the problem. We still have people that believe might is much more powerful than mind. Yes. That the sword is much more powerful than the pen. And as long as that is the philosophy of the people that lead us, we are always going to be screwed. Yep. All right. So I think that's a perfect way to end this one. Um, if you guys have liked this, please like, share, subscribe. Honestly, the best thing you can do if you, you like the podcast is uh, I think the best way for, for us to grow it is to share the YouTube videos. I know people maybe don't have time to to listen to the YouTube videos or watch the YouTube videos, but you can listen to them. And that's the best way to contribute because the more we grow the YouTube channel, the more uh, recognition it gives us in the algorithm. And then we can start, you know, producing more of this content for you guys. Yeah. Um this is going to be 
Go ahead. Thank you. Thank you to our uh, most starred listeners, Matt, Julia, and MJ. Yes. MJ and Julia actually share our videos. Good. In very- other towns. They, they, they are very serious about it. So I love that. Love you. Thank you. We love you guys very much. Thank you for everybody who supports us. Um, this is going to be the last podcast we do. We're going to take like a mid-season break because we have some family issues that came up. Um, that's why we filmed them back-to-back. So we'll have two more episodes for you. Um, and then there might be a little bit of a break in the content for a couple of weeks. We're going to try and get a backlog built back up. And then we'll be back hopefully around the middle of September late mm-hmm. September and so, yeah. uh, we'll write have us, some more stuff. Write us, let us know what topics you would like to discuss. Yeah. Um, for the, uh, for the season one uh, mid break for the next one we do back. Why don't you guys give us some suggestions on what you want us to talk about? I want to do one on particle accelerators. <laughs> I don't know if I can talk about that for an hour, but we could definitely try. <laughs> we don't have to hit the hour mark. We can always just talk for 20 minutes. This doesn't matter. This is anarchy. This, this is, is anarchy. True. YouTube, baby. We this don't give a true. fuck. But yeah, um, let us know some topics you might want us to talk about while we're on a little bit of a break. We'll be back in September and uh, love you all. Stay safe. Stay well. Hopefully the world doesn't fall apart in the next month. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Love you guys. Talk to you soon. Stay safe. Bye.